They're going to try to break free as Bogdanovic corner wide open. Up. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. My name is Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. Yo, C. Grant, what's good? Yes, sir. And we are here to bring you episode 37? 36. Nah, no. man, you corrected me. You see, 37. Ah, yeah, 37. Yeah, yeah, 37. Yeah, yeah. Smart Alex got it right. We'd like to first and foremost thank all of our subscribers, viewers, listeners, contributors, haters for being a part of the Views from the Clutch movement. If at any time you feel the need to contact us and get your opinion off, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on any one of the podcasting platforms where you see our podcast hosted. You can also send us a message directly via views from the clutch, views from the clutch at gmail.com. You can also tag us and reach out to us via social media at views from the clutch on Instagram and Facebook. And on that note, episode 37 begins. Before we came to the air, my brother C. Graham was venting vehemently about the current performance of the New York Knicks in a game against the Detroit Pistons? Mm-hmm. You have any live takeaways you want to give us or you, or you just want to leave it alone? Because Seagram's a little perturbed right now. No, nah, Knicks, is, Knicks, is, Knicks is playing themselves, man. Knicks is playing themselves. Knicks is, Knicks is getting outscored 24 to 10 in the fourth quarter. And they're down, they're down 15. Are they so at home? Like, no, they're, they're in Detroit, but still. Okay. Well, actually, well, they're down more than fifteen. I'm sorry, they're down by twenty five. So, okay. But three min three minutes to go. So the coach, co- of course, the coaches are emptying the bench now because it's a wrap. I mean, they just like I said, I didn't watch the whole game. Believe I'm, I'm glad I didn't. But it was a tale of two halves because the first half they was they was in the game. It was it was very competitive. Now it was oh this is really just the fourth quarter just went crazy. So all our all our um. Viewers out there, shout out to Detroit basketball fans because it appears as if your Pistons have been able to maintain water while great while the great Blake Griffin continues to heal. So I don't think there's any rush for him as long as they're able to at least maintain a 500 pace. But as for those New York Knicks of ours, um, Fisdale, Fisdale, Fisdale. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, man. I wouldn't be surprised they they they, they send they they cut him. I mean, like I said, I don't know what I don't know what coach is going to come in in this place. But like I said, some of this is a lot of it's on the players. But the reality is, coaches get the blame first. You know? All right. So and, so if I said to you, Tyron Lou, five years, twenty mil. But he's already he's on, he's not going to lead the he's not going to lead the Clippers for the Knicks. For a head coaching job, five years, twenty mil. He's not going to leave. No, nah. nah, nah. not right now. Not right at this season. Oh no, nah, he would. Lionel that. Hollins, four he's years, on, he, four years, he's sixteen on, mil. He's on the um, Clippers also. No, Lionel Hollins is on the coach of the Lakers. He's one of the defensive oh. coaches. Um, okay, well, Jason Kidd, three years, fifteen mil. No, because he going he know he going to take that Lakers job once Freddie Vogel's off. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Then we just went five, six in a row. Yeah, we did that. We did that. We lost the first game and ain't lost since. Again, like I said, once they start losing, he's going. To... Oh, okay. So we got to we got to I... wait for we got to wait for them to start behaving like the Knicks for him to. Well, let me stop. <laughs> let me stop baiting. Let me stop baiting my brother because I don't want to see Grand to really nah. really lash out on me. Um, 
what do we have? What do we have to discuss on today's agenda? What do, what's on the docket for today, brother? What do we? What did we propose uh, to, to throw we out talk, there? We, we talked about low management. We talked about the PEDs in the NBA. Um, we talked about their attendance and um, the Lakers, Lakers win streak. All right. So let's start with the least popular of all those top topics. Performance win streak. Nice. <laughs> you know what? Since you did that and chose the most popular one first, I think the most popular. Clearly, it is. You know, oh, it's, it actually the, man. It's, it's actually the only thing positive that we're about to discuss tonight. Basically, oh please, you know man. what I mean? Wow. Uh, you know, I, hopefully we'll get oh, drugs. And, and we'll Phoenix. Get a... See, now Phoenix. Phoenix is on. Um, win, been winning. Yeah. So we'll definitely okay. So you know what? Like again, we'll table the Lakers for later because that's like dessert, you know. So we'll give the we'll give our listeners a treat as they continue to matriculate through this podcast. And um we'll we'll start with like I said, or what I think to be the lowest hanging fruit from this whole situation. Performance enhancing drugs seem to have made a resurgence in basketball. Um we've seen three separate twenty five game suspensions doled out. Wilson Chandler DeAndre Ayton, and now the most recent was John Collins from um, Atlanta. Now, we as former basketball players and former gym enthusiasts to, to you know, our limited level because we was never no workout monkeys, but we definitely did try to make sure we took care of our bodies and spent that time in the gym doing what we could to keep ourselves fit. Um, I'm not really in tune with how some of these chemical compounds and so forth help basketball players. But I am aware of what some of these drugs are capable of doing. Like, for instance, I know that creatine is a substance that allows you to endure muscle fatigue so that you can work out more. So obviously you become stronger because you can work out longer than the average person. So person A walks into the gym, does three sets of 10, five sets of five, another exercise, same thing, they leave. Person B walks into the gym, he's on creatine, he does double that workout. So he's getting more bang for his buck because he's ingesting a substance that allows his muscles to endure more stress and, of course, respond to that stress with what you get from working out, which is muscle tone, definition, so on and so forth. So I get drugs like that, but apparently DeAndre Ayton, he tested positive for diuretic, which is what they consider to be a masking agent. And I believe something similar came down the pipeline for um, Collins, for John Collins. And that's also what, um, what Wilson Chandler had going on with himself. So three guys basically failing tests for pretty much something similar. They're covering something or something that they're using is flagging the test to make them believe that they're covering up something. I think as we continue to progress through what's happening with performance-enhancing drugs and basketball players, we're going to come to understand what this magical substance that they're trying to keep the NBA from directly detecting is and what exactly it could possibly be doing for these guys. Because if you look at the three different athletes, Wilson Chandler is kind of like in the tail end of his career. You know, he's like something like a 9, 10, 11-year veteran, somewhere in that range. I remember him when he was a Nick and – from mm-hmm. Nugget and so on and so forth. He's had a long and tenured career. He's been on multiple teams, not really ever really played for a championship or anything significant like that, but he's definitely seen his share of NBA wars. DeAndre Ayton is a second-year player, and so is, what, John Collins is in his third year now? He's, uh, yeah, he's yeah, in his third year. Okay. 
Nah, because he wasn't a rookie same year as Trey Young. So he Yeah, yeah, he's third. He's the third year. So he's in his third year. So maybe they're not all doing the same thing or masking the same thing. But I'm definitely curious because the last time I was curious like this was when do you remember when Rashad Lewis got suspended? Mm-hmm. For performance enhancing drugs, he was taking something that I believe helped prolong his muscle endurance. So he was able to basically play harder for a longer period of time than his fellow basketball players. I'm curious if the, if maybe that's what the issue is because if they come out with a drink called like bungees that you know you just ingested and go about your day, and all of a sudden you got 40 inch hops, they need to put that out for me. Cause, you know, I still want to go outside and dunk on some people. You know, I'm short. Always feel good to get up in the air and do something fantastic. But yeah, I am curious as to this sudden spike. I hope that whatever the case may be, as far as the NBA community goes with the players, that they're able to get this under control. And, you know, every every sport is best played without an advantage that your other competitors can't also partake upon. And keeping the playing field level, especially in the season where everybody believes that their team has a chance, I think that's kind of important from a fan perspective. So I'm hoping that these athletes are able to, you know what I'm saying, keep it all together and, you know, keep the sport clean. And that, that's my sentiment. Do you have any feelings or takeaways from it? Uh, just like I said, yeah, I think, I think what a lot of these players are, like I said, I can't guarantee all of it, but some of these players – might be taking these drugs for medical reasons. Um, or... med- well, not just medical, but for recovery. I mean, mm-hmm. they are definitely different. It seems like a lot of these athletes are, you're seeing some of them get caught up. They're not necessarily taking like the old school baseball where they're taking steroids and trying to become, you know, abnormally sized and, you know, yeah, human growth hormone and yeah, things yeah. along those I lines. I think a lot of them are trying to, trying to figure out how they recover faster because sometimes some guys are coming back from injuries and they're trying to get healthy faster because they want to get back on the court. And I think sometimes that, that, that plays an effect. I think though, I mean, from what I was heard from years ago, the NBA always has a list of products that come out. And I think that depending on who you have on your team or whoever your trainers are, they have to make sure they stay uh, in tune with what that list is. I mean, because, you don't want to jeopardize that type of money because that's unpaid. Correct. You don't want to jeopardize that type of money off of a certain product that might have contained something that you might have tried for the first time or might not even necessarily be beneficial for you in the long term to get you the results that you're looking for. So here you are ingest something in your system that um you didn't even benefit from. So it's like and you got to be careful with that type of stuff. But you always got to be careful what you put in your body because you're talking about you're talking about non things that are not natural. These these chemical products, you don't know what the lasting effect might be in five to ten years. What it does on your body. I mean, like I said, I don't know how well some of these things are tested and and say, okay, this stuff is clean. This stuff is good for your body. So be careful, man. Like I said to all, to anybody, any athlete out there, be careful what you put in your body and try to. Try to recover the, you know, the, the ways that are legal. Like I said, there's so many different ways to recover. Try to recover the legal ways. You know, try not to try to get the unfair advantage because here you are missing out on 25 games for a team like the Hawks. Collins is a big factor on that team. Super and, big. Factor. And they, like I said, they're going to try to compete for a plus spot. This might, those 25 games might make or break 
this season or be a big, big indication of how this season might play out. That's Same thing goes for the Phoenix Suns, who especially right now, like we, we made note of opening the, the, the segment or the, the show, they're winning. Yeah, They're winning. And here you are, you have an opportunity to naturally position yourself to be in a catch-up spot where teams have to catch you in the playoff standings. Because we all know as the season plays out, teams gradually who you expect to be where they're going to be, they tend to rise into their their expected place over the course of time. Like, things level off. The beginning of the season, every season, there's always a surprise team that winds up not being there at the end. And some of those teams that do wind up being are the, being there in the end are the ones who are able to win like Indiana was and hold on in lieu of an injury or everyone around, everyone else around them in the conference improvement. The Phoenix Suns are currently 5-2. and two. They've played seven games total. Six of those are without DeAndre Ayton. So it goes without saying that they're at least, what, five and one without him, maybe? Well, it's not better. Well, also, the Phoenix yes. Suns, uh, they had the two losses. They lost each game by one point. So they've been competitive without DeAndre Ayton in um, every game, like I said. So wait, wait, whoa, whoa, I'm just now seeing this. The New York Knicks just lost to the Pistons without Blake Griffin, Derrick Rose, and Reggie Jackson? Told you. Wow. My fault for the segue, everybody. is just that just flashed across my screen that those three players were actually out for that game. I did know that Derrick Rose was out, but I didn't – and obviously Blake Griffin's injured, but I didn't know that Reggie Jackson was also out. So, so the Knicks can't even beat a team without a point guard. That means Luke Kennard was out there slicing and dicing, swishing and dishing. Langston Galloway was crushed. The former Nick was beating up on his old team. <sighs> it's gonna be tough sledding for the orange and blue, man. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, I'm I'm again eternally hopeful, even as I look at them having the worst work record in the NBA currently at one and seven, one game worse than the Pelicans, that somehow, some way, David Fisdale and that staff and that New York Nick front office figure out a way to get the, the ship aligned. I know a few players are injured or dealing with being away from the team. I'm hoping that, you know, by the end of the week, we can we, we can get the roster that allows Dave Fisdale to be properly evaluated because part of this is really not his fault. And then part of it is because you, you are ordained to work with the parts that you have. Um, so we covered PEDs and we briefly broached into the Phoenix Suns run. Let's continue with that. Do you, do you think that the Phoenix Suns can sustain what they're doing based off of the games you see them play and the style that they're using under um under their new coach? Yeah, under, under Coach Monty Williams, I think so far from what I've seen of them, I think they, can, they that can be sustained or uh, sustained because what they're doing is they're showing they're getting Devin Booker hot and um who's a who's a surprising player. It's Aaron Baines, the big male, actually, who's, who, who came to the Phoenix Suns from Boston, but he backed up. He was gonna, his plan was to back up DeAndre Aiden. But what he's been doing this year is he's actually been hitting three-pointers, and he's been like, – obviously, you know, he's a role player. He sets solid screens, and he's been um, able to do that. But now he's added a three-point shot to his arsenal. He's helping, you know, and the yeah. fact that they – the Monty Williams teams – are playing aggressive. They play, always play aggressive. He, Monty Williams, that's one thing for him. He always has his teams prepared. You know, they don't come out there looking like they don't know what's going on, but they definitely come in prepared. Like I said, 
And like I said, when you get somebody of Devin Booker's caliber, you get him going early, it's going to be a long night for teams. Yeah, I mean, so, I spoke about it in previous podcasts. I think it's really dope how they kind of deploy him in transition like the way Shaquille O'Neal used to be deployed. Get get as close to the rim as possible, get that early post position, and we're just going to throw you the ball because you're bigger than 85 to 90% of the guys who are going to try to guard you. Because Devin Booker is a, a big 6'6". He's not a little 6'6". He's a big 6'6". He, and he also, you know, he makes good use of his athletic ability and, and his short explosion. Like, he gets over his guys. Like, he definitely always looks like there's not a physical mismatch with whoever's guarding him. But getting back to the whole way that Phoenix Suns are running the show, um, with Ricky Rubio at the point or whoever they use, yeah. because Javon I'm- Carter has also been a, a revelation under um, their new coach, Monty Williams. They're running a really, 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 really catchy penetrating kick style. It's almost like they're predicated on pulling your defense into wherever the ball is just so that a shooter can get a quality shot. Doesn't matter where that shot is on the floor. Typically, it's behind a three-point line. But doesn't matter where it's at on the floor. Their whole idea is to make it, if it's not just basically giving the ball to Devin Booker and running him off of something so that he gets an uncontested shot. Everybody else is getting essentially – Shots where they're getting the ball kicked to them, passed to them. It's almost like a, a blend of the Spurs and like classic motion offense that they have going. You know, nobody's holding on to the ball too long outside of the point guard Ricky Rubio when he's calling the play and getting everybody lined up. Everybody's unselfish. Um, Tyler Johnson has been a random revelation. You know, I, I thought he was lost in the sauce and that he was just like a throw-in guy when the Heat, you know, moved him. But he's been playing very well over there. Um, like I, like we spoke about before, or I spoke about before, Frank Kaminsky has definitely stepped into and found his own as a Phoenix Sun. And I think that was quite a surprise. I'm pretty sure nobody really had any predictions of him being any type of frontline performer for that team. But he's definitely stepped up and done it. Um, Devin Booker is doing what he's doing or what he's always been doing. But his efficiency is spiking because he doesn't have to do so much of the he, and he actually, well, you know, it doesn't matter, but um, DeAndre Ayton actually led them in PER, but he'd only played one game. But their leader in PER is actually, ironically, the person we spoke about earlier, is Aaron Baines. And Aaron Baines is giving him 15 points a game, six rebounds, mm-hmm. almost four assists, a block. He's always been a good interior defender. And I wanted to get touch on what you mentioned about his three-point shooting. He would take a random three-pointer every now and then when he was in Boston, but it wasn't integral. Now, it's a focus. Like, I literally know his form now. I'm pretty sure you do because you've seen him take enough three-pointers this season. He has a little one-legged hop where he moves forward as he shoots and lays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. wet. If he's at the top of the key, just run the other way. Just run the yeah. other way because he got that top of the key three down pat. And, you know, it's funny about shooting. There are some guys who are shooters, and those are the guys that I call people with guns. No matter where you put them on the court, if you give them a look at the rim, there's a high percentage that they're going to make that shot. And then there's guys who make shots. Aaron Baines has a shot. It's at the top of the three-point line. And if you give him that shot, he's going to make it. I don't know about him from the corners or from above the break on the free throw line, at the three-point line or any of that other stuff. But I know if you give him that top of the key three-pointer, you're in trouble. So kudos to him. Ricky Rubio's been hitting threes, by the way. I, I watched a game where Ricky Rubio hit two threes in a game. I was blown. He's Clearly got to be near the top of the assist boy. He's averaging 8.5 a game. Of course, mm-hmm. LeBron James is leading the league in assists, but we'll get to that later. Um, averaging 12.7 points per game. Um, 
they've got a nice distribution of scoring. If you just remove DeAndre Ayton, you got Devin Booker at 26, Kelly Oubre, who who definitely is earning his contract and now mm-hmm. starting is averaging 17 a game. Aaron Baines is giving you 15. Rubio is giving you almost 13. And Kamitsky is giving you 11, 6, mm-hmm. two and a half assists, almost a bl- almost half a block, but he's turning over the ball a little high. But the, the thing that, like I said, Kamitsky's not starting. He's only averaging 25 minutes a game, and he's giving you 11 points per game. This, that fifth starter technically is Dario Saric, and he's not even cracking 10 points a game. But what I wanted to point out, is that you've got all these guys. you got Devin Booker at five assists, Kelly Oubre at almost two, Aaron Baines at almost four. A center is almost at four. Your point guard is almost at nine. Your power forward reserve is at two and a half, and your starting power forward is at two. Then you got Tyler Johnson giving you two and Javon Carter giving you two and a half. Everybody's sharing the ball. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I think that those teams that trend like that on t- team-based play – they're really tough to get rid of over the course of the entire season. Their style of play isn't going to change much. You're just going to have to crack them. And the way that Monty Williams has got them playing, we might be talking about the Phoenix Suns for the rest of the season. Well, I, yeah, and I think, honestly, the thing about Rubio that I like is he's setting guys up and getting guys into position. So even though, yes, he has eight and a half assists, but the quality thing about having a a, a reliable, a more than more than serviceable point guard is he gets guys in positions and gets some guys in the spots and get those guys sometimes easier shots. Whether they make them or miss them, they're not forcing them. Remember Devin Booker last year pretty much had to do everything. He had to be the shooting guard, the point guard. He had to be small you know, forward. Try to, try to, small forward. Try to have to try to defend. He had too many roles where he couldn't really, you know, be the best person he can be. So, yeah, last year he averaged like seven assists or something like that, but those are all in case of emergency passes. Exactly, exactly. So whereas now is you got guys in a certain positions, you haven't just hit the, the proper floor spacing is out there because you have a point guard that's a, that is allowing everybody to do that. So like I said, that that's one thing that I tip my hat to Ricky Rubio because his whole career has kind of been, you know, he's been a pretty steady point guard. Never, never really hit that mark of. Oh man, he's a superstar coming out and coming into the league. He, he was projected to have a better career, but the reality is he's had a solid career, and that's what you can't um, you can't be what, mad at, right? What Ricky Rubio is proven is proving is that you can't because I mean, in contrast, look at how Utah's currently struggling because Mike Conley is still trying to figure out how to integrate himself, and they're not really struggling, struggling. But Mike Conley, his first few games of the season, they were ooh, abysmal. I think he went like one for 16 in his first game or something like that. He had a really bad early outing. And then it continued into like the next game. And they were saying like Mike Conley is currently two for 27. And then he hit a three. And all of a sudden an alert came across on NBA TV that, you know, Mike Conley is officially off the snide. But he had had not been playing well to open the season. But conversely, Ricky Rubio's style is one that travels. A steady point guard who can get everybody organized, get everybody in the right position. So then now it just comes down to execution. And if everybody follows the diagrams on the play and Ricky Rubio does what he does, which is you're not going to strip him. You're not going to make him turn the ball over. You're not going to make him throw a careless pass or anything along those lines that's going to disrupt an offense that needs continuity. This is what you wind up getting. So a lot of people were probably, and we may be included because we definitely pick Phoenix not to even get to like, I don't know if, did we have Phoenix getting 10 wins? Uh, yeah, I think if we did, it was, it was extremely tough. So, except yeah, but I mean, like I said, that goes into coaching. 
it goes into guys also that chemistry, man, that bond together. And buying in and buying in is heavy. Yeah, exactly. And then also the fact that schedules too, taking advantage of the schedules. You know, like I said, I think like we talked about the Knicks, not taking advantage of trying to get as many wins as possible early in the season. Because that sometimes when you do losing gets too contagious, guys are just so comfortable losing that they might as well just have a bad break. Yeah, it becomes it becomes a behavior, it becomes a habit, it becomes expectation. You wake up like, ah, oh, where where we flying to lose at tonight? Um, so we're gonna tail in the Phoenix Suns, but let's go over their early schedule and what they have managed to produce. So they opened up against the Kings, where DeAndre Ayton played, and they won by almost thirty. They lose to the Nuggets by one, which you alluded to. They have only two one-point losses. They go and beat the Clippers, who are a favorite to be, you know, standing across the finish line come Western Conference Finals and, and um, NBA Finals time by eight. They lose to, to the, the Jazz by one at home. They trounce, well, not trounce, but they beat the Warriors by 11. They beat the Grizzlies by 11. And then they surprise everybody by taking the 76ers undefeated a record away from them and beating them by five on the road. Well, no, they beat them at home. But point being... Those are quality wins with a couple of you need to get those opponents, and they went and got those. Whereas conversely, we're dealing with the Knicks, who really had they, they, there's nobody that they can really, based on their record and how they're performing, point at anybody and say, "Oh, we definitely should beat them." Like that. that true. Is, true. That is just a huge contrast in, in in those two teams who both were expected not to perform very well, and one is, and the other one isn't. Um. What's next on the agenda? Uh, we have – we could talk about – I mean, talk about the teams, the, the attendance. I think that if we talk about the attendance. Yeah, let's talk about the attendance. What, what is – I mean, it, it is it is a situation where it's early in the season, but a lot of these teams play in these big-time arenas or like a team like Golden State that just got a billion-dollar arena. And when you start to see a lot of these highlights or you're watching a lot of the games – a lot of the seats that are in view of these camera shots are empty. And it's not just one or two. It's more like rows. It's rows of seats that are out. It might be two to three rows, consecutive rows that are missing. So as you're watching the game and the the crowd, you're like, well, where's everybody at? And then as the game goes along, it's not filling back. It's not filling up in a lot of these games that I've watched. So it's empty. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We're now in the third and fourth quarter, and it's still pretty much the same. The same amount of people are still there, so that's not a good sign. I don't know what the NBA if they're looking into this, but you know, I don't know if this this plays a factor. What exactly plays a factor? Because um, you know, like you said the start of the season, you figure a lot of people would be energized. I mean, yeah, especially people that are paying for those type of seats. You know, it's not like the nosebleed seats or. Way nobody can really see the camera angle to see if those teams are um, if those seats are filled or not. But when you have seats that are in the front where all the cameras are at pretty much and that every camera can be picked up at almost every camera angle and those are empty, you got to start wondering what's going on. Yeah, um, I do have a few friends that like, you know, work for um, or involved in, in, in stadium related business. When it, when it comes to some of these NBA franchises. And I've been made aware that there currently is an app that literally scours every NBA arena and allows you to get those last-minute quality seats for a very low price. I'm going to reach out to them and see if we can get a sponsorship. But point being, 
it's it's becoming a known thing uh, across sports in America, and now it's officially affected basketball because last year was not like this. There were certain teams that you could watch and certain points of the game you could look and see that the stands were empty, but you kind of knew why. Like the Miami Heat are notorious for having late arriving fans, so they've had games like mm-hmm. back even mm-hmm. in the LeBron Super Team era where the beginning the beginning of the game you would see a lot of empty seats, but by the fourth quarter it was filled up in white or red or whatever all the home fans were wearing. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple other arenas like that where, you know, the start of the game is never a reflection of actually what the true, true attendance is. But like you said, you're seeing games where no matter what quarter it is, front row seats right behind the guys who were calling the game, there's people not sitting there. So I, I do wonder if there is a sort of um, malaise to this NBA season and maybe it'll pick up over time as teams start to situate themselves and fans get to say, okay, well, I know for a fact my city, my team, we're going to be here to stay and we're going we're gonna to compete. Or is it just truly a fact that the American economy is not able to support being able to go to a game? So that's something to definitely explore as we continue to go on in the season and see, you know, because obviously the attendance numbers that we're going to get from the NBA, it's their business to make it seem like everybody's coming to the games. And unless we want to sit up there and chart what the max capacity is versus what we see on TV, it's not really something that we can get too crazy and exploring. But yeah, from a visual standpoint, the fans have not really been coming out at the level that we're used to seeing for, for an NBA game broadcast on television. And that's definitely something that an eye needs to be kept on because situations like this continue to, to bowl over and, and become bigger then the next thing that the NBA winds up having to do is take a franchise away or move somebody or relocate. And I don't know if that's obviously something that, you know, unless they can find a way to get New Orleans into the Eastern Conference, I'm not really all for any type of realignment or team movements or anything like that, or maybe bring a team back to Seattle. Those type of things, I'm definitely never going to be anti, but not at the expense of one of these cities where, you know, you got quality crowd, quality fans, and the only reason why they can't get there is because, they can't afford to get into the arena, which is a part of the um, Chase Center conundrum with the Golden State Warriors, because the whole entire city of Oakland became disenfranchised when the team officially moved to San Francisco. So their fan base has literally changed based off of location. So it's something to keep an eye on. Um, what else do we got to talk about, brother? Um, the thing about the attendance, well, well, I mean, we can segue into the load management where we're starting to see some of these superstar players, well, Kawhi Leonard being the, the number one superstar player that is doing this load management. So sometimes when, when, when you pay to buy tickets, but then you hear about your favorite player not going to be playing or like a game like tonight where it's the Rockets, I mean, not the Rockets, the Clippers versus the uh, Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks. So you got the regular season MVP versus the finals MVP, but the finals MVP has decided not to play because he's no, he's going to be playing tomorrow in a back-to-back game. Some of these fans are like, well, why am I coming to the game if I know my favorite player is not going to be there? Or the, guy, or the guy that they're promoting. Mm-hmm. Because it's not always about a fan saying, you know, I want to go and see Kawhi Leonard. I, 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 it might just be, I want to go and see the Clippers, and I want to see the Clippers that are expected to be this quote-unquote best team in the NBA play. So, so there's, there, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, it's a catch-22 because obviously the NBA is a star-driven, player-driven, personality-driven league, but there's also a lot to say about 
fans, casual fans who are simply fans of these franchises, and they don't even get to go out and support a team that, like for instance, you're you're, a, you're located in in the DMV area, so Washington is your local team to watch. If you want to go out and see a basketball game and not travel far from home, you're gonna to go to a Wizards game. Now, if the Knicks had a player uh, of of major acumen who was responsible for you know them getting wins or being a big part of what they do to be successful, and the Knicks come to town and let's say Julius Randle is not playing. That's going to change your perspective on wanting to attend that game. Am I right? Am I wrong? Just, just, just speaking to you. No, 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 absolutely. Because you, you want to see the people you pay for. The best, the best playing the best. So, um, obviously, the low management situation with Kawhi, it's already started to rub people in, in major media the wrong way. There have been quite a few prominent sports anchors who've already said that, you know, like they've already thrown their hands up and discussed and said, oh, this has got to stop this low management thing. Blah, 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 blah. And then conversely, you know what's funny? The, 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 the opposite end of the spectrum is uh, David Fisdale was at a press conference for a game the Knicks had just played, and I forgot how many minutes a player had just played, and he was like, man, cut that low management stuff out, man. And he oh, quoted... Yeah, RJ, he talked R.J. Barrett. Yeah, he was talking about R.J. Barrett playing, playing heavy minutes, and he referenced... I forgot who he referenced, but he referenced like Latrell a whole time. Le- he said, he said, Latrell Sprewell averaged what? 42 minutes. It was so mm-hmm. crazy. But the quote was so fire that even if he's not telling the truth, the way he shut down that whole, his perspective on, on low management, I thought, I thought it was dope to hear. So there are still those out there who are, you know, in places of power in the NBA who don't totally buy into the whole low management situation. But when it comes to Kawhi and what happened to him, I kind of still err on the side of caution because of what mm-hmm. he hurt in his body. That's a very heavily connected support mechanism in, 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 in a basketball player's body. We're talking about, well, it was like his left thigh. So his left thigh can trickle upward and downward. It can affect his hip, and he can go out like Isaiah Thomas. It could affect his knee, and he can go out like Clay Thompson. It could affect his Achilles, and he can go out like Kevin Durant. So making sure that your, your, your lower extremities are correct as a basketball player is very important. So if he feels like mm-hmm. that, that back-to-back could blow his quad out, regardless of how we on the outside may feel, you can never tell another person how their body works. So Yeah, I, yeah of course. I see both sides of the equation. And I don't really know what a fix is going to be because it is permissible to miss a game if there's a high risk of injury and the sports trainers can, you know, publish and produce a reason to keep you out of that game. Kawhi has a quantifiable reason that the NBA can't compel him to make him play. So he's not playing tonight. I do yeah. feel. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I think that the, the, this whole Kawhi situation, I mean, I mean, it was basically put under a microscope or the magnifying glass and Greg Popovich years ago was um, doing that with his, his big three with Tim Duncan, Milo Ginobili and Tony Yeah, let's Parker. give him his credit because he was the first player to literally report to the press and the media when it came time to report who would start lineups for play. He did it out, out of sarcasm, but he DMP'd Ginobili, Parker and Duncan and when they and, and what the cause was was old. Do not play. Did not play. DNP old. One mm-hmm. of the most hilarious things I ever seen. Literally got published that way. Got reported to the mass media that way because 
he didn't feel like playing the political game. And yeah. the Spurs were ahead of their time in saying, you know what? There are moments in a season where it does not benefit my team and my players to force my star player to go out there and play a game when I know I can preserve him to make him better available in the playoffs. So, exactly. th- th- so it's ironic that literally the, 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 you know, the forefather of low management is a, is, is a coach who became a victim of that same very low management, and the player is Kawhi Leonard. I, I think that's quite an ironic circle right there. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think what the NBA has done is try to come up with uh, heavy fines. scheduling and better well, scheduling. And also and... defining, but a lot of times with this whole Kawhi situation, even if, if you think about from last year, he only played 60 games last year out of 82, but he won a, cha- he won a championship. So I think the Clippers are trying to figure out, hey, if we can, if we can mirror that same thing, and do whatever we have to. As long as the end result is a championship, they're not going to care. You know what I mean? It's, they're all for it. And I can't blame them. And I don't think any NBA fan or Clipper fan is going to blame them either. If this leads to you guys effectively raising the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year, comment. Let us know. What do you think as a Clipper fan? Do you think that you're, you're, you're being disserviced by your, your best player being held out on, on a given night? Do you think that the long-term outcome will lead to a playoff success? It's definitely a conversation worth having with everybody out there who has an opinion and love for the game to get an idea. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. we come from that era of we go to the playground. And when do we sit down? When it's all over. And when it's all over, what does that mean? That means either we lost our way off the court mm-hmm. or we won till people stop showing up to play against us. That's what Pretty- we do. And that's much. pretty much what most people who grew up playing basketball, those are the conditions that you were raised to play basketball under. Nobody ever was going to go to the park and, and get an hour in and dip. Not unless you had a pre-existing life obligation that made it clear, like, yo, I can't really stay. If you go to the park, you go till the lights is on, and they go off. Mm. So much. that mentality is pretty much the mantra of a basketball player, and I'm pretty sure it's like that everywhere. That's, that's, that's the nature of the love of the game. It's just like you play until you can't play no more. I'm going to go home with a Charlie horse, but we got all these wins. You know, like that, those bragging rights is what kept you on the court. Well, the NBA doesn't have that same – it doesn't carry the same energy to an NBA player, a multimillion dollar player, to say that it's going to be worth it to go out here and risk my long-term health to ensure that Sammy and his family from Nebraska get an opportunity to see – Regardless of the fact that they drove God knows how many miles to come to this game, I still have to do what's best and what's not only for myself, but for the franchise and for my fans back at home who, who, who want to see me cross the finish line and take my team to the, to, to the promised land. So it, it's a tough situation. I don't think that it's ever going to go away. I think we're at the beginning of the load management problems, and hopefully it doesn't remain high because I'm pretty sure this is something that we're going to be talking about when Joel Embiid has to rest. Obviously, he wasn't eligible to rest. He just got a free two-game rest courtesy of that, you know, wrestling match or whatever you want to call it, him and him and Carl Anthony Towns got themselves involved in. But for all things considered, I do hope that there is some sort of happy medium we can come to when, it, when, when this issue resurfaces so that everybody involved with loving the game gets some of what they want most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, it, it, is, it is a slippery slope because 
you, people can easily use it or to use it to their advantage or it's also going to be a situation where people are using it because they, they really just need it. You know, it's a situation where if you're rehabbing off of an injury, nobody wants to overplay it and then now be injured again all because if they just took an extra game or two off. You know what yeah. I mean? That's, that's, that's the catch. That's the catch, too, because the player could go in and say, hey, you know, I, I got a, I, I got a, a real bad hamstring or a charley horse. Or let's say a hamstring, for example, right? Hamstrings are some of the most delicate sensitive situations. Yeah, and sensitive delicate. That you have to go about. So if the guy says he needs to take off a game, you might be like, all right, cool, he'll be back. Or he might say, you know what? Nah, I just finished playing. Now it's sore again. You know, take me out. You know, I'm, I'm out. Or you know, deem this is low low management. They re, they just worded a certain way. So there's no real. I don't yeah. know if there's a real way to actually uh, force people to play. To regulate it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my thing is, is this. My thing is this. There's a couple of key players across this NBA season. Some of them aren't even on teams of, of major significance based on their records right now. Where I think low management is going to make appropriate sense. Um, Brandon Ingram. He's coming back from blood clot in his upper body. Now, we saw a blood clot Bosch's career away. If the mm-hmm. Pelicans elect to sit him for load management in lieu of him having a previous injury that can literally kill you, I don't think there should be much rancor and discord about a situation like that. Um, if Clay Thompson were to come back and play and he has a minutes restriction and then he goes into some load management as they you know, finish out the season, I don't think there'll be much discord in that. Same thing with Steph Curry, because he's coming back from a broken hand. So there are certain things. Another big-time example of this, and this is one that's going to hit home, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas has every reason in the world to play 82 games, 48 minutes, except for his own health. He's coming back from a surgically repaired hip, which if you know anything about sports injuries, getting your hip fixed is usually a career ender. Ask Bo Jackson, because he couldn't go back to playing football behind it, and he wasn't the same person again playing baseball. Luckily, he was able to keep one of his major sports career having that happen to him. There are certain injuries that, like I said, and, and, and I don't even think twice about if, if low management is brought up as the reason for why that guy's being held out. Very preemptive, attentive to certain conditions and how they can affect that player long term. And that's why I think because all we know or all we've been told is that it's a thigh contusion, I think people are overreacting to the fact that he, he's doing this. But nobody knows his body better than he does. And last year, even in the playoffs, he got gimpy. There were a couple times during that um, the Easter final series, and especially against Philly, where I didn't know if he was going to be able to finish a game. He was out there hobbling and still trying to dunk off one leg. So... There's got to be there's there's got to be an amenable balance that we can all find as players, fans, coaches of what is. And if I see a team doing something that doesn't make sense when it comes to load management, I'll be happy to call it out. But so far, so good. Mm-hmm. So far, so good, man. Um, what's next on the agenda? What else have you got? To talk uh, about? I think it's your your favorite team. Okay, so. The Los Angeles Lakers just recently completed another victory mm-hmm. for our, uh, what are we, six in a row? Six and one now? Yeah, six and one. So we start off the season losing to our in-town rivals in a road game in our home court of Staples Center. 
to the Clippers. And um, since then, we've ran off six in a row. And those wins have been of all variety that I've been able to witness. You know, somewhere they took off from the beginning and never relented. Somewhere the game has been close, like the Dallas game, and they had to take it to overtime and finally snatch it away. And then there have been others where they've been able to snatch it away like they did last night against the Chicago Bulls in regulation. But the underlying thing that you have to take away from what the Lakers are doing right now is that you're really going to have to beat them up on the boards if you want to win. Mm-hmm. Oh. That front line has come together in a way that I'm pretty sure a lot of people predicted they would have to, 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 to be anywhere near, you know, the top of the league. And they've done that already. They've done it already. Their front line arguably has to be one of the best front lines in, in, in the NBA right now without even looking at stats. Across the board, the combination of Dwight, uh, mm-hmm. Dwight. Who, are we going to call LeBron James a, 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 a forward this year? Or yeah, is he, you is figure a like a point forward or something. Okay, so you got LeBron. You've got LeBron, who's leading the league in assists. LeBron. You've got Anthony Davis, who's leading the league in blocks, and who's leading them in rebounds right now in the league. Oh, Andre Drummond is averaging 19.4 rebounds a game. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in gambling, you might want to start looking at the over under on Andre Drummond rebound numbers cuz you might be able to make a quick buck there. Mm-hmm. The Lakers leading rebounder is actually Anthony Davis. And he's ninth in the league at 10.9 a game, which is kind of expected because they have so many people that are talented and big on the front line that there's only so many rebounds available to go, go around. So I'm not surprised. Julius Randle is actually right there, too, at 10.4 a game. Mm. So he's doing, he's doing something good when it comes to – he's only averaging 13 a game, though, mm-hmm. down from 19, 19 and change. But, yeah, um, the Lakers have looked good. They started to reintegrate Kyle Kuzma back into the, to the fold. Last night against the Bulls, he was stinking it up for pretty much three quarters. He flipped that on switch. The go button was activated, and he turned on the turbo. Shout out to my man Howard from the 15th floor. We miss you forever, RIP, brother. I've been meaning to say that on the podcast for the longest, by the way. Howard Hutchinson, we love you forever. But um, he, 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 he's found his – he's starting to find his niche within that roster, it looks like they're using him now as the kind of like spark off the bench six man, just to keep the the seamless integration that they have going with, with the starters. Cause the starters have been consistently um, Danny Green, Avery Bradley, LeBron. Well, actually no, they swapped out Avery Bradley for um, Contavious Caldwell Pope recently. And then Anthony Davis and, um, and my boy JaVale McGee. But they seem to have found, or Vogel has seemed to have found, like, his top 10 guys. And he's, you know, been able to slide Kuzma right back into there. Obviously, this is going to take away from some of the guys' minutes who, who were playing or, or, or were getting looks before that, like uh, Troy Daniels. His minutes definitely decreased the moment that they got Kuzma back. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking to see what happens when they get a healthy Rondo. Because based off how they're playing, I don't know if there's really – a spot that he fits. I mean, yeah, he, he probably makes sense as the backup point guard to keep them organized, but his lack of scoring punch with the type of team that they have as far as his ability to shoot from the perimeter, I don't know if he's going to help them or hurt them when he comes back to the team. But then again, maybe he has that Ricky Rubio effect where it doesn't matter how well he shoots. He's just so good at everything else that you got to have him out on the floor. 
because I don't think he's the defensive Rondo that 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 you know we've come to know anymore. I don't think that guy even lives in that body anymore. He'll have a couple of defensive moments, but there used to be a time where Rajon Rondo was equivalent to like Pat Beverly. You put him on anybody, and that guy was going to be in trouble offensively until Rondo left him alone. And he's not that guy anymore. But yeah, I mean, all around, all of the parts that the Lakers have put together, like this is essentially best case scenario. They're right now living in the best case scenario. And like you alluded to earlier when we started talking the podcast, there's going to come a point where they're going to start losing games. And that's where we're going to see the true metal and character of this team. So I'm curious to see how that plays out, and especially considering what elements it takes to beat the Lakers. What type of team and what type of teams in a row would really be able to put it on them to where they might have to deal with their, you know, basketball mortality. Uh, is, is there a team right, right now out there that you feel like is a definite headache for them based on how they've been playing? I mean, I, I obviously look at the Clippers. That's the team that won, and they won, it won, it won kind of convincingly. Um, yeah. So they took, their, they took the Lakers' souls that fourth but, quarter. But it was, that could be a situation where now that the guys are starting to get into rhythm, um, like I said, they just got Kuzma back the last game. And the thing about it, though, you have to look at it like the Clippers haven't had Paul George at all at any point in this season. So Agreed. But I think I think it will be a tough matchup for every team. The, the fact that they have so many um, – so many – they have so much hype. And they also have guys that are starting to come into their role because the way Howard quiet is kept, he's played very effective. And even though he's in the yeah, limited he's... minutes – He's definitely utilizing and, and t- maximizing every opportunity. Opportunity. At, and, and you can't blame him for that because, like I said, we all know what Dwight Howard once was. He, he's not complaining. He's accepting the role that he's in, and he's flourishing in it. And that's what you want. If you want guys that no matter what position I put you in, you're doing the best you can. And, you, and you get, I'm getting more out of you than I expected. I mean, because you got to figure Dwight Howard was just kind of a throw-in only because – of um, Boogie, Boogie, Cousins. Boogie Cousins going out. So when Boogie Cousins went out, it was kind of like, okay, well, maybe we'll bring Dwayne Howard, maybe bring Joe Kim Noah, maybe bring Warchin Gatot or somebody like that. And it's like, well, if it don't work out, you could always get rid of get rid of um, Dwayne Howard. But the reality is the way Dwayne Howard's been playing, he he could, if, if they wanted to, start him. You know what I mean? But I think the way things are going right now, the way he's playing – you might keep him on the bench, but he might his minutes might go up because JaVel McGee might only give you 20 minutes and then Dwight Howard's coming in for 25, you know, to, to, to 28 minutes a game. Yeah, I agree. JaVale, JaVel, even as a starter, never really gets up to, like, 30 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. I think that there's just, like, some, like, league-wide understanding that, like, you get the best out of JaVel McGee if you keep him under 30 minutes a game. I think he did, like, 26.4 last year for the Lakers mm. as a starter. So I think that they will continue to deploy that, you know, two-headed monster situation because the different elements that they bring to the table are, are equally essential. JaVel McGee, although he's the taller and now at this point probably more athletic player than Dwight Howard, his basketball IQ is just different. Mm-hmm. And there's things that – and the fact that Dwight Howard can literally – he can he can quarterback your defense from the back end. Those guys are rare in the NBA nowadays. Like those big men who can literally call out every action in the screen and roll and get everybody to cooperate with what the proper coverages are. 
and then be the person to make up for somebody missing the coverage. Like those type of big men, those are few and far between. Like Kevin Garnett, he was like the epitome of that in his prime, especially right before he got to Boston. And then in Boston, he just became like freaking the Tom Brady of defense when, when he was there. So those guys in the NBA, they don't really exist anymore because of the stretch big. You know, a lot of these stretch bigs, they're not really known for their defensive savvy. They're known for being big and being able to shoot. But their actual ability to be the, the lead player on a defense, that's kind of evaporated as we've moved to guys who play more on the perimeter getting defensive player of the year. Like Draymond Green's been defensive player of the year recently. Um, Kawhi Leonard has been defensive player of the year recently. And these are wing guys. So when you're anointing the best players in the NBA on defense to be guys that aren't the at the point of the attack or at the, you know, the center point, mm-hmm. which is near the rim. Yep. You're, you're changing the focus on, on what's most important on defense. And the guys like Dwight Howard th- th- are here to consistently remind you that if you've got a champ on your back line who knows what he's doing and can keep everybody in front of him organized, it's going to be very difficult to score. LeBron James did a press conference or he did his post-game interview and he said, and I found this funny because it's LeBron James saying it, but he's saying we hang our hats on defense. Mm-hmm. And, um, if they are truly committed to that, then it's going to be very tough for, for the rest of the NBA because they are essentially getting to the point where they can, you know, once you start, once your team has that, that, that snap element, where, all right, let's lock in. Mm-hmm. They, can take, they can take a 13-point deficit and lock you down for a quarter, and now you wake up and you're down eight going into the fourth. Mm. Yeah. And that same defense that you've been dealing with that puts you down eight is what you got to deal with to try to come back from. And it can take the willpower of a lot of teams. So I definitely think that the Lakers have somehow magically, pardon my pun, assembled a team that is pointing towards them being very difficult to get rid of as as the season progresses and we get to that playoff top. I'm really curious to see how the rest of the West is going to fill out and what they're going to do to respond because I spoke about it in previous podcasts, but they pretty much put the rest of the league on notice. If you don't have enough bigs, you better go get one. Mm-hmm. So, um, anything else that you want to discuss? Any, any any hot topics? Any random bullet points that? No, I think that I think that kind of I think that kind of brings a wrap to this um, episode because um, the we talking about uh, we talked. About I did want to say one thing. I did want to say one thing. Trey Young, God don't like what you did to the Marcus Aldridge. <laughs> he really don't. You're fresh back from an injury. You just lost your wingman. Be careful out there, young man. If you keep doing that to these veterans, somebody going to cheap shot you. I just wanted to throw that out there. Because did you see what he did to LaMarcus Aldridge? Oh, no, I definitely did. I definitely did. It wasn't it wasn't good luck for DeMarcus Aldridge or if you're a Spurs fan because Atlanta actually won that game. And the camera moved twice. No, three times. <laughs> how, you cross, how you cross the help defender, the cameraman covering the play, bring the ball back, do it again, Bring the ball back and do it one more time and then throw a I'm not looking pass to DeAndre Bembry for, for a paint dump. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's a little bit too much sauce going on there, young man. Mm-hmm. I want to take a little bit of sass on off. I keep telling y'all, these young players, when they start showing up veterans, what happens? So, you know, the old guard is definitely on notice as far as the veterans are considered in this league. 
I think those ascending young talents are really going to just start snatching all-star spots from these perennial all-stars. And this might be the first year that we really see an influx of, yo, I didn't know he was ready for all-star time. All-stars, you know? Like DeMar DeMar DeRozan, like, he's not going to the all-star game anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah, man. I think, think like you said, I mean, it's it's still early this season, but as you're seeing some of these teams and some players starting to Starting to showcase their like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to make this. This is trying to be the year of separation for me. So, and if the, the team start winning, and you're going to start seeing some new faces, and you're going to see some of the so because the Western Conference is stacked. If you're on the East Coast, Eastern Conference, there's there's probably going to be more likelihood chance to, chance of having more first time All Star starters or All Star players, players mm-hmm. players picked for the All Star game on the East than it is on the West. I think the West is going to be so stacked. There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to miss out because, I mean, you, you think about it, you're going to have AD, you're going to have Le- LeBron, you're going to have Kobe. You got Westbrook and Harden on the same roster. Mm-hmm. You got McCollum and Lillard on the same roster. And you got to pretty much pencil in, but based off of what we've seen in previous years, Lillard's probably going to go. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Harden, Harden's probably going to go. Yeah. Westbrook probably gets left off. As a voted-in starter. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, definitely, definitely. And if you go East, you know that Kyrie's taking one of the guard spots. Mm-hmm. He took it last year, so he's definitely keeping that. But the other guard could wind up being Trey Young. Because remember, once you start giving people highlights, mm-hmm. that's where the fan vote comes into play. Now, I know that they've tried to balance out how people get into the All-Star game by taking away some of the power from the fans. But Trey Young actually has the numbers to back up what the fans are going to vote for him. And if you're on the highlight reel and you're on Sports Center every night, that boosts your stock. Mm-hmm. Of so, course. Like, like you're saying, um, the Eastern All-Stars is going to be unique. Because mm-hmm. you, you know you've got Giannis. You know you've got, you know you've got Kyrie. But then but in between have, that. But you're also going to have Kimba. You know, um, Kimba? Yeah. Because Kimba, because Boston's got the, they got the top, they're top from first with the best record. Yeah, you know that the the way the All Star. I'm not saying that he isn't an All Star. He was an All Star last year. Mm-hmm. He was a starter for the first time last mm-hmm. year. He's very much capable. I, you know, but remember how they, Kimba, they do with the with the teams with the winning records always tend to get a little more favoritism when it comes mm-hmm. to having players get in. Like I said, now I'm not saying that he would. I don't be know a, if he'll get the fan vote this year, but he he probably will be an All Star if he continues producing like you're saying and being a part of. Being one of the best players. Oh wow, um, Gordon Hayward's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had thirty nine last night. He had thirty nine. He had a smooth thirty nine. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a struggle thirty nine. He had a. All right, I guess I'll score this time. Ah, oh, y'all making it easy for me. Ah, I still got hops. Mm-hmm. Watch the J. Mm-hmm. He he had a variable thirty nine. He had a wherever you put me on the court, you better be ready. So Brad Stevens, um, I commend you for sticking to your guns. And having faith when a lot of people didn't anymore, didn't want to, and that whole perimeter forward glut thing that you have going in Boston, it looks like the pecking order might start to make sense, especially considering that Jalen Brown's been out for a while. And finally, when those minutes have been readily available, Gordon Hayward has done everything to display that he's earned them. And I apologize for extending this, but you bringing up Boston made me think about that. And I know that we do got some Boston fans, so I definitely wanted to make sure that I shout out the fact that Boston is doing okay. Shout out to Marcus Smart. He's been performing above and beyond his duties. Obviously, he's one of the glue guys on that team, but he's definitely allowed them to keep some continuity and 
not become what they could have, which is a fractured team in lieu of them really not having no, no front court right now to play. So shout out to Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm done rambling. I ain't going to re-extendo this any further. We did intro talk for five minutes offline, so I just want to make sure that we did get to that 60-minute mark. We definitely had 60 worth of b-ball talk. Mm-hmm. This has been episode 37 of Views from the Clutch. As always, we appreciate all of your feedback, support, subscribes, views, commentary, hate, whatever you got for us. We welcome it with open arms. We just want it to be feedback so that we can continue to keep this conversation going. This is my brother from another C. Grand. If you want to leave us a message, you can find us on any of the podcasting sites where we are located. You can also reach us directly via viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media directly on our Facebook page, Views from the Clutch. Same for Instagram, Views from the Clutch. As I've always been saying and will continue to say, look out for our YouTube page coming soon. I am in the works on getting that nice and ready. So at some point, I'm just going to randomly announce it, and then y'all going to be able to go to the YouTube page. And like you can with the pods, you'll be able to see all, see and hear all the pods so you can clean your house and catch up with some of our classic episodes. And then you'll be able to rub it in our face how we misjudge your team in our season predictions or anything else that we said along those lines. But on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace.